I'm really excited that uh, Nick is going to just come and open God's Word with us. So, would you please join me in giving a very warm Compass Church welcome to Nick Herman. Thank you, Craig. And thank you all for letting me be here. I couldn't be up here if you didn't let me just walk on stage right now. So, thank you, church, and good morning. Um, as you just heard, my name is Nick. Today we're going to be talking about the book of Philippians. Now, one of my favorite video games, that was a different direction, one of my favorite video games is a game called Fallout 4. This game is set in post-nuclear America, assuming that the Cold War went wrong. But like every story, the most important part is the beginning. At the very beginning of this story, you are set in front of a mirror. You get to create your character. And it seems like a simple and trivial thing, but who you are in front of that mirror affects the rest of the way that you play the game. So whenever you customize your character, you create what they look like, you give them attributes, you know, strength, charisma, intelligence, luck, all the video game terms. Who you are in front of that mirror determines the rest of the way that you play the game. So when the bombs fall in a couple minutes, what you do depends on who you are. What you do for the rest of the game depends on who you were in front of the mirror if you created a street-savvy businessman, a lone ranger, or a sledgehammer-wielding lunatic. It's because who you are changes how you act. Michael Jackson also thought standing in front of mirrors was important when he said he was looking at the man in the mirror. He was asking him to make a change. And no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, it starts by looking at the man in the mirror. That's because who you are changes how you act. What does that say about Christians? Does it change the way that we act in situations of conflict? Blessed Peace Church is a small church in a town called Kiefer. Kiefer has been receiving a lot of change lately, and the youth population has been growing. There's a big telecommunications center, there's a local college, and there's an insurance company that have been attracting a much larger, younger audience. And that's affected Blessed Peace Church. They've had to grow in young adult programs, student ministry programs, kids programs, and creating a whole lot of new infrastructure to support this church growth. Mr. Tony is one of the leaders at this church. He's been leading the college ministry of about 45 students, which at a church that was about 100 people beforehand, that's a massive audience. Mr. Tony highly values his church growth, he highly values working alone, and he works best under those circumstances. Pastor Rowlings has been at the church for a decade or longer. He loves this church. He's been pastoring and shepherding this church for a long time now, and he knows his people. The next church council meeting came around, and Mr. Tony made a proposal. He asked the church council if he could go ahead and create a second service in a more contemporary setting for these college students. He said that he would shoulder the responsibility of making sure that everything was covered, asking all the necessary questions, scheduling, getting the musicians, and making sure that everything, all the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed. Pastor Rowlings wanted to press pause, and he asked the church council if they would create a group of people to investigate this and take their time to make sure that everything was done properly, people were asked questions, and everyone had a say in what was happening. But Mr. Tony objected. He said, if this isn't done in the way that I have requested, I will offer my resignation and my college students and I will go find somewhere else to worship. And now the church is on fire in a bad way and people are fighting over things like allocation of resources, lack of communication, no one knows what's going on, and people are taking sides. Some people say that Pastor Rowlings violated some church bylaws by doing what he did at this proposal. A lot of people are calling out Mr. Tony for acting the ways that he did and so harshly. Does Scripture say anything about the way that we react in situations of conflict? Does the fact that we're Christians affect the way that we respond to conflict in the church? Or how about this? 
Racial conflict has been a part of our nation for as long as it's been. But recently, it peaked again a couple years ago as there was conflict over protesting that was going on. One local church staff member posted this on Facebook. He said, find another way to protest, they say. They said it about Ferguson, they said it about Kaepernick, and they're saying it now. What they mean is, find a way to protest that doesn't bother the comfort of my living. And the fact is, is that they don't want protest because they don't see a problem. And that is the problem. I am not siding on any side of this post. But as you can imagine, there was a very diverse amount of reactions from people on every side of the spectrum. And this church was also on fire in a very bad way. There were hundreds of shares of this post. There were a multitude of reactions, and there were about a hundred comments. What would you do if, if you were that staff member who made that post? Would you respond to the comments? Would you just take the post down and forget about it? What would you do if you were the lead pastor or the elder at this church? And does the fact that we are Christian change the way that we react in situations of conflict? You and I live in conflict. All over our lives, we find ourselves in conflict. In the book of Philippians, Paul makes an address to the Philippian church. He draws together a lot of the themes that we've seen so far, and he makes a direct application that in situations of conflict, you and I need to remember who we are. Take a look in the mirror and allow our identity to shape the way that we react in situations of conflict. To see this truth, first we're going to go ahead and read through our text, taking our time, making some observations, making some connections. So if you would, go ahead and open in your Bibles to Philippians 4, 1 through 7. Again, that's Philippians 4, verses 1 through 7. We're going to take our time. We're going to make some scenic stops along the way. But bear with me. We will get through it. Philippians 4, 1 through 7. Paul starts out saying, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dearly beloved. This is kind of our overarching point for the entire rest of what we're going to read. In the next few verses, we're going to read what Paul means by saying, stand in the Lord in this way. Here's point one of Paul's treatise. He says, I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Now, out of all Paul's letters, this is one of the few times that we ever see him call someone out who's specifically in the wrong. And he calls them out to say, be of the same mind. We don't know what had separated them, but we know that at one point, Euodia and Syntyche were fighting alongside one another for the sake of the gospel, and now they were fighting against each other because of some disagreement that had come between them. And Paul says, be of the same mind. Paul continues on with a couple of statements that might seem a little disconnected or discombobulated. But an important principle whenever we interpret scripture is we must let the literary context determine how we interpret each verse. And so instead of treating this like a grab bag of statements to just kind of take out, look at, and then put back, we have to allow these statements to fit within their context. The first statement that Paul says is, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. You can see how that might be easy to take out of context. But the context here is conflict. And one of the things that we see in several places in Paul's letters is an idea of stopping one way of life for another way of life. So, for example, in Ephesians, Paul says to put off the old self and put on the new self. What does that mean? Well, he says to get rid of your harsh words and instead use words that build others up. Get rid of stealing with your hands and instead use your hands to work so that you may give to others in need. Get rid of your rage and malice for kindness and compassion. 
And I think that's kind of what he's doing here. It'll be evident more as we go along. But Paul is saying in situations of conflict, it might be easy to react in retaliation or in anger or in bitterness or harshness. But instead, when there is conflict, we have an opportunity and an availability to rejoice in the Lord. Instead of disputing, we should see rejoicing. Paul makes a second statement. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. This word for gentleness specifically has an idea of in a situation where you would normally react in violence or in retaliation or in vengeance, react in gentleness. So it's like if your kid says something completely out of pocket and talks back to your spouse instead of taking their phone away or grounding them or spanking them, giving a pat on the back and a tootsie roll saying, I love you, buddy. It's a weird and unexpected reaction of kindness in a situation of conflict. And Paul says that whenever you face disagreement in the church, instead of retaliation, let there be reconciliation. He continues on by saying, The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This is the favorite verse of a lot of people for good reason. But again, we can't let it come out of its context. It does not mean if you struggle with literal medical anxiety, that if you just pray, your anxiety will go away. What this does mean is that in situations of church conflict, whenever you and I have a disagreement, there will be anxiety in the church. We can address our anxiety with prayer and petition to the king of the universe who is near to us. And then he says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us and that we are able to discern your word and apply it to real-life situations. God, I pray that you would help us to see how this is relevant. Help us to see how you are speaking to us. And Lord, please help us to honor you by the way that we live our lives. We ask this in the name of your son. Amen. Let's go back to our story about Mr. Tony and Pastor Rowlings. There are a lot of emotions and motivations at conflict here. There's a lot of different opinions within people. Some of you may agree with Mr. Tony about his motivation to create a contemporary space for college students to worship. It's their own area where they would feel more comfortable. He should be able to shoulder that responsibility and do it himself. I mean, if it's his ministry, he knows what his students prefer. He knows how to organize it well. But you may also side with Pastor Rowlings. He has a certain wisdom about the church. He knows the right and wrong ways of doing things. He's been there for a long time. He knows how to get stuff done at the church that he's been at. And you may side with Pastor Rowlings. But what matters more than church conflict is the resolution of what's wrong. Have you ever been in a situation at Compass with conflict? I don't know. I may be overthinking here. Have you ever been in the place here at Compass where you thought you knew the right thing to do and no one else saw it? You thought you saw the correct path, but no one else agreed with you and they all went down a different one. People just don't seem to agree ever. Well, conflict is going to happen. You and I are going to disagree on how to carry out our mission because our mission is extremely important. Our mission is to create space for people to discover Jesus and find their place in his story. If that's not important, I don't know what is. But the fact is, is that whenever we come on teams together, when we come on groups or missions, and we try to discern a vision for that mission, you and I are going to disagree. We're going to disagree on what basket to put our eggs in, on what missions teams to support, on who to vote for and what council. Conflict is going to happen. Some may ask for a second service at the church. Some may not. Some may want unity in the church and worship. One way or another, you and I are going to disagree. But it gets worse. Because you and I are also people who are bent towards sin. 
You and I are naturally sinful people, and at, at least I know for myself that when I enter into conflict, I am going to react out of pride, one way or another. I will try to get my point across so hard, I will kick a dead horse until it moves. I will try to ignore the problem, I'll sweep it under the rug, I'll kick the ice cube under the fridge, and just ignore that it was ever there. I will act out of pride, and at the end of the day, my biggest concern is that everyone sees me as a morally right and a good person who they want around. I am going to react in pride in situations of conflict. And if you're anything like me, you know that the same is true for yourself. Yodia and Syntyche also had a conflict. We don't know their problem. We don't know what they did. We don't know how they reacted. But here's what Paul says, to be of one mind in the Lord. We don't know exactly what that means, but here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that they need to keep on disagreeing until something gets figured out. It doesn't mean that they need to continue in their arguing until one or the other gives up and changes their mind. And it doesn't mean that one of them needs to submit to the other so that they can move forward and just forget about it. Here's a little context about what Paul means when he says to be of one mind. In Philippians 2, verses 2 through 5, Paul says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Having the same mind means something like this. Be unified in your relationships with one another. Have harmony in the body of Christ. Let the church be unified in the Lord. And so when conflict comes, Paul tells us to be of the same mind. So what happens then when conflict comes walking through those doors? It may be at the next town hall meeting, and you may have a concern about something that the church is doing. You may have a question, some sort of disagreement that's happening about a missions team we're supporting, something we're no longer doing, something that Craig said, because Craig says a lot of things. And you may have a conflict and a legitimate concern. What I'm not doing is downplaying your conflict. I'm not saying that you just need to ignore what you think is wrong or what you're seeing, because we have an important part in taking part of the ministry here at Compass. What I am saying is that what is far more important than any disagreement in this church is the fact that you and I are unified in Christ. What is far more important than any conflict that may come is living in harmony in the fact that you and I are people who are in Christ. What matters far more than Yoda and Syntyche's disagreement is that they are of the same mind in the Lord. You may have a disagreement with a member of the team you serve on or the person who oversees the ministry you serve in. What matters far more than your disagreement is being of the same mind in Christ loving one another, serving one another in humility. When we experience conflict, Paul wants us to take a look in the mirror. Remember who you are and let who you are impact the way that we handle our conflict. But why does it matter? Why does who we are matter? It's because you and I are people who are in Christ. Christ's work on the cross makes us people who are reconciled to God himself. Through Christ's work on the cross, you and I are united to God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who is everlasting. You and I are united to the king of the universe. So who are we then to trample on the work of Christ by allowing a disagreement to cause disunity in the church? Who are we to put disdain on what Christ did by allowing any disagreement to come between us and to stop the working of God through his church? May God forgive us for what we've done. When we experience conflict, Paul wants us to remember who we are and allow who we are to shape the way that we respond. But conflict doesn't just happen in the church, I think. 
Have you ever had conflict in your own household, maybe? Has your kid ever said something just wildly out of pocket to you and you don't even know how to respond? Have you ever had a conflict over what color to paint the walls? Over where to go to lunch after church? I don't know about you, it might just be me, but I have a terribly hard time finding whatever restaurant it is here in Columbia called, I don't know. It's, it's a constant trouble for me in my household. Maybe your conflict isn't just at home. Maybe your conflict is something political. Suppose you went and you voted on Tuesday and you came back home and you saw your neighbor out doing yard work, whatever he's doing yard work in November for, I don't know. But you just got out of your car having some small talk. Oh, I saw you got a new barbecue. Oh, that's great. Good for you. Oh, my goodness. My wife is trying to put up Christmas decorations already. Can you believe it? Whew. It's only November. And then he starts somehow getting political about it. He brings up Amendment 3. And he starts talking about, oh, Joe Biden this, Donald Trump that, oh, oh, divorce and abortion and, and gun laws. And then he asks you, what do you think? What do you think about Amendment 3? Well, does Scripture say anything about that situation? Is there anything in the Bible that's relevant to the way that we feel in these times of conflict with others in our lives? Maybe your conflict isn't something political with your neighbor, but it's a to-do list. And it's a list that keeps on growing. Oh, your work has taken more and more of time. It's grown well out of 9 to 5 by this point. And it's that time of year again, so you've got gutters to clean, vehicles to winterize, a garage to clean out. You've got Christmas lists, Thanksgiving plans to make, travel plans, and something always needs cleaning or organizing or fixing. Does the Bible say anything about the needs that we feel? Does Scripture say anything about the conflict that we feel within ourselves? I think it does. Because we are in the Lord, there is another way of responding available to us whenever we face situations of conflict. You may be in a situation that most people would grieve, and rightly so. Anybody, if they were put in your shoes, would feel unhappy, would feel bitter or angry, and would just want to get out. They would feel the opposite of joyful. But Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I said it again, rejoice. This doesn't mean that you need to just ignore your situation. Just let it go, forget about it, and pretend that everything is lovely and awesome. It doesn't mean forgetting that, that we're actually grieving and hurting and that we're in a broken world. What Paul means is that even in the middle of your situation— we can choose to have an attitude of rejoicing because God loves us, because God is good, and because unlike the pain that we feel, God is everlasting. We can choose to rejoice in situations of conflict. I mean, look at Paul. We say it all the time, but he was in prison when he wrote this letter. If anyone had the right to grieve, it was him. If anyone had the right to feel bitter or angry or jealous, it was him. And yet you and I have been reading the same Philippians so far. In chapter 1, he started off by saying, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I'm just so joyful and filled with happiness and joy. And then he continued on later saying, One way or another, Christ is preached. And for that, I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. And even later on, he said, Even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice of your faith, I will rejoice. And you should rejoice with me. I don't think Paul's joy was dependent on his circumstances, and I don't think ours has to be either. Maybe your conflict is one where people would normally respond in retaliation or vengeance or anger. In this political debate with your neighbor, most people would probably get heated and would be red in the face. Most people would respond with defensiveness, wanting to make sure that their point comes across, trying to convince their neighbor of their wrongness and your rightness. But even in situations where we might be convinced that that's the right way to go, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Not your rightness, not how good or smart you are, not how logical of a thinker you are. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. I think it's a terrible shame that the way a lot of people think about the church is far from gentle. The way that my generation thinks about the church is not a gentle people, but a people who retaliate and who defend themselves. You and I don't need to seek retaliation or vengeance. We don't need to justify ourselves to other people because we are justified in the Lord. It is God who will ultimately have vengeance on the last day, and you know, if he wants to judge that person for being a terrible driver, so be it. But it is the same God who will judge both you and me. So let there be gentleness, Paul says. I mean, just imagine how different conflict in your home would look if everyone came to the table with gentleness as their highest priority and not serving themselves. Just imagine how much of a witness it would be to your neighbor, neighbor to respond, not with debating, or even if you respond by engaging in a debate with gentleness and the love of Christ and humility, and ultimately having gentleness as your highest priority. Imagine what a witness it would be to your coworkers if you responded to that situation, not with gossiping, not with confrontation, not with pettiness or going behind their backs, but with gentleness, with loving others with the love of Christ, with valuing others' needs above your own. Your situation may be one where most people would respond in anxiety. I mean, when there's disagreement in the church, it's pretty easy to be anxious. It's pretty easy to be anxious when you don't know what tomorrow's going to look like, when you don't know if you're going to get through the week. In situations of conflict, anxiety might feel like it's ruling over you or controlling you. But Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Why can we do this? Why does Paul say we can do this? Well, because the Lord is near, because he loves us. Whether we see it or not, because he is working, because God is for us, he is fighting for us, the king of the universe is on our side. And I think we take that for granted a lot. We have a direct address with the God who created the heavens and the earth. If anything can resolve anxiety, I think it's him. I think it's him. We know that God loves us, he hears us, he's with us. And so we pray to him in situations of anxiety so that the peace of God might come over us. But what does this prayer look like? Maybe it means praying with someone else, going to someone you trust, going to someone on the team with you, going even to the person that you're in conflict with, and just praying that the peace of God would come over your situation. Praying that he would humble us and allow us to be gentle and joyful. It probably means also praying specifically for that person that you're in conflict with or for that group of people and asking not that God would have an imprecatory prayer over them, like appoint someone evil to oppose them. May their accuser always stand before them. When they're tried, let them be found guilty and may their prayers condemn them. Instead, it probably means saying something like, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It also probably means praying for our own humility and correction. This is easily the hardest way. When I enter into a situation of conflict, I'm probably not going to look out for my own humility, but it's probably the way that would help us the most. Praying for our own humility and correction means that even if I think I'm right or not, God would open my eyes to see the ways that I might be acting in pride, that God would hit me in the head with humility the shape and size of a baseball bat, that God would help me to see the ways that I'm needing correction, that he would help me to rejoice and display gentleness. It would be wise in situations of conflict to pray for our own correction, I think. And Paul says that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Conflict will come. Conflict is going to come. Whether you're in it now or it's coming soon, you will experience conflict. Especially in church, Paul says, 
we must let the unity of Christ be over our situation. We must be united with one another. And because of who we are, we can rejoice. We can show gentleness instead of retaliation. And we can pray for peace over anxiety. Even in situations of conflict, Paul says, look in the mirror. Remember who you are. And so when we're in conflict, every day we have an opportunity to make a choice. You get to decide who you're going to be. You get to stand in front of the mirror, look at yourself, and decide, does my identity change how I react in the situation? I think it does. So when conflict comes, remember who you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this community. Lord, please teach us to let the unity of the body be of great importance to us. Please teach us to be humble and gentle. Please let us value others' needs above our own. Please help us, Lord, to follow you even when it's difficult. And let your glory go before our own. Lord, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.